Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Bonjour. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Ollie Richards, and what I do usually on this show is I answer your questions about language learning. But today we've got something a bit different. We have an interview all about learning Mandarin Chinese. There's a couple of guys, Luke and Phil, who um, started the Mandarin Blueprint website. And it, the reason I, I like these guys is because they've got two very different backgrounds to learning. So they both learn Chinese, but in totally different ways. And they've created uh, a concept for, for learning Mandarin from scratch using stories. And so that is right up my alley. And so in this interview today, we dive into a lot of, a lot of questions around how they learn Chinese, but also how they now approach teaching Chinese to beginners. And I asked them a lot of questions about how you get started. So what is the key thing? What are the key things for beginners to learn when taking on a language like Mandarin? Do you learn characters? And if not, what do you do instead? How do you, how should you approach things like um, flashcards and acquiring vocabulary? So what is it specifically which which makes it possible for a beginner to actually learn Chinese, get traction, and then go on to become fluent in the language. Really interesting conversation. And we also begin the talk by talking about, talking about one of the phenomena that I've noticed about Mandarin, which is it seems to get people on the internet really angry. So much kind of heated debate. Anyway, that's enough from me. Without any further ado, let's dive into today's interview with Luke and Phil from Mandarin Blueprint. Okay, today I am joined by Luke and Phil, who are the duo behind Mandarin Blueprint, which is a website that helps beginners reach literacy and fluency in Mandarin Chinese. And like many people learning Chinese, Luke and Phil both really struggled in the early stages with traditional methods, which I'm looking forward to asking them about. But they eventually figured out a more effective way for them to learn both the spoken and written parts of of Chinese and uh, Anyone who's thought about learning Chinese in the past will know that that's a big deal, especially the written part. So I know that their method involves stories, which is also the foundation of my own method. So I'm really excited to dive into how they learn Chinese and then get some of their tips for others hoping to learn this fascinating, but I think we can agree, somewhat challenging language. So um, Luke and Phil, mm-hmm. welcome. Would you uh, maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit about yourselves? So uh, Luke, would you like to kick it off? Sure, yeah. Uh, my name is Luke Neal from uh, England, south of England, and I was kind of obsessed with China since my early teens. And I made it my mission when I was like around, well, I guess it started my gap year, went to China, I was like, I'm going to go explore this place. And I learned the language for a few months beforehand, and it just made my trip to China absolutely incredible, uh, even more incredible than it would have been already, obviously. And uh, after university, I came back and I've been here ever since. And uh, I came here to learn Chinese. It was kind of, kind of my mission. And how old, how old were you when you first went there? 19. 19. And now you are? I'm 32. 32. Okay. Uh, I feel I've like I've asked you that question. Now. Yeah. Eight years. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's a, you're, 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 it's a, it's a good chunk of time. Um, okay, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, Phil, how about you? Well, I came to, t- to China when I was 23 in uh, 2011. I'm 33 now, so it's been almost 10 years. My 10-year Chinaversary is coming up 
And the first couple of years, I just learned some basic stuff. I just learned like, you know, how to ask for things in a restaurant because at the time I was in Beijing, which is a very international city and you can get by with speaking English there. And I wasn't sure if I was going to stay long-term. So I, you know, kind of didn't, you know, when you're not sure if you're going to use the language, and I think it's probably true of anybody learning any language, if you don't have a clear path for it, you're not going to be very motivated. But then after I moved to Chengdu for a work opportunity playing drums, I uh, fell in love with the city. Chengdu is fantastic. It's, you know, Sichuan province and Chengdu in particular are kind of unique in China in terms of its culture. And so I decided I was going to stay. And in that decision, I was like, well, if I'm going to stay here long term, then obviously I need to get better at the language overall. So in 2013, I uh, made the commitment that for the next five years, I was going to study Chinese every day. Uh, and so, so that's what I did. And then in the process, we started Mandarin Blueprint as well. And so when did you guys meet then? In a bar. 2014, I think. 2015, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. In a bar. That's where all the, all the best. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit. All, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, one of the things that I've always noticed about China, because I'm not a Mandarin speaker myself, I speak some Cantonese, but I'm not, I'm not a Mandarin speaker, but I've always kind of observed Mandarin from afar as like an interested observer. And it seems to be, it's always struck me as a very, a very kind of polarizing language in a few different senses. Um, first of all, I've noticed in my, just from my own uh, exploits online that the, uh, Chinese seems to be mean to be by far the language which raises passions and, and debate online more than anything mm, else. People seem yeah. to take very extreme positions on literally everything and then um, call you every name under the sun if you disagree with them, which is weird because you don't get that in other languages, apart from maybe Japanese as well. There's something about Chinese and Japanese which just gets people very, very exercised. Uh, but it also seems that you know most people who learn, who try to learn Chinese do struggle with it because it's a hard language and i think that the writing system probably plays a huge part in that as well but like preventing as a, as a major obstacle to, to literacy um so it seems that there are people who and there's most people who, who who probably get to maybe conversational level and, that, and that's about it but then you've got people such as yourselves and um other people who I've, I've had on the podcast who are extremely successful with the language uh, and um treat it a lot like their their life's work so what do you think it is about, how do you see Mandarin from, from that perspective? I, uh, I actually wanted to ask someone like yourself who's learned many languages because mm -hmm. I only speak two at the moment. Um, you know, does Matt, is that sort of polarizingness about Mandarin, does that apply to other languages? And apparently it doesn't. And I think one of the reasons why it does is because it is difficult doing if you do it the traditional way it's very difficult and very time consuming compared to other languages not the way we did it but you know the way most people do it, it takes a long time a lot of effort to get to an advanced level and not many people get to an advanced level so i think there's a ton of ego involved mm. uh, in learning mandarin chinese um you try and tell this is you look on certain forums uh which would go unnamed but uh you know you can learn Mandarin Chinese to a decent level, um, maybe even basic fluency, depending on how you define that, uh, within six months, if you really put your your back into it and you use the right methods. You try and post that on one of these forums, it's, it's nothing but you know negativity, really. 
Um, does that ego come from people? Do you think that does that ego come from those who have already been successful and so have a position to defend, or does it come from people who have tried and struggled? And because there seems to be a lot of an, this attitude where, well, it didn't work for me, so it was not going to work for anyone else. Yeah, I, th- mm. I think that might be part part of it. Yeah, I think it's it's both camps, but I think it's a lot of people that you know deserve a lot of accolades for all the effort they, they've put in. They have got to mm. a good level, but they did it the hard way. And when they see someone say they can do it an easy way, it almost uh, uh, devalues, I guess, uh, their their efforts. Uh, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent here, but yeah, that's that's what I think about it anyway. Yeah, I mean, certainly from. I, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add on to that that from a like a less psychological angle and a more sort of practical angle of the things that make Mandarin Chinese different from other languages is that with the writing system the way that it is, if you go about learning the writing system by just brute force rote learning, uh, which is kind of what Chinese teachers seem to expect of you. In fact, they don't even really focus on characters very much, which is you know, a huge, um, it's just a huge failure on their part. I don't blame them because it's how they learned Chinese characters yeah. when they were kids. But because of that, if somebody was really brute force learning through rote learning, then if somebody comes along and says like, hey, there's this um, sort of story-based method you can use, or you can use uh, memory athletics or mnemonic devices or things like that, then they might feel like, oh, well, you know, I, no, you can only do it this way because that's the way I succeeded with it. And then, yeah, there is a pride that can come along with that. Although it's funny to me when people feel a sense of ego or pride around learning Mandarin, because it's such a huge language. The um, they have, there's a idiom for it called "bōda uh, jingshen," which means just deep and layered on several and profound, like deep, layered, and profound. That's the way you could describe Chinese. So, if you're learning it, I don't ever feel like I'm even close to done or you know finished with learning. So it seems strange to be prideful or you know have a lot of ego about it because. Mm-hmm every Mandarin speaker around me, every native speaker around me is more skilled than I am. So it's like, um, it, you can reach a decent level of fluency within a few years, but to be like a native speaker, I mean, that would take decades probably. Yeah, yeah and I think that's part of the major issue is people misunderstanding or, uh, I mean, it's just a very slippery word, fluency. Um, so when some people say fluency, they mean native level, just saying whatever you want on any subject easily which I don't think even native speakers can do that, but, um, uh, and just hold, hold people to a much higher standard. Whereas, whereas I think polyglots like yourself, Ollie, when you use fluency, it's not necessarily that strict a term, right? Yeah. It's a can of worms, this one. Um, yes, it really is. (laughs) And so, so yeah, maybe, maybe for the, maybe let's like, let's, let's leave that one for another day because, because it also doesn't matter, sure. you know, it's only yeah. it, it, a conversation on fluency only matters if you're trying to judge people or grade people. And, and the, the reason I, I, I sort of was wondering earlier, wondering out loud, whether the, the ego that we were talking about tends to come from people that maybe haven't been successful is because those because people, I've got many friends who speak Chinese to a very high level. Um, but that's partly because I'm kind of in this polyglot community of people who, who, you know, make languages their life. But it's very rare you, that you find someone who's achieved real success with Mandarin and then goes about goes around boasting about it or having very strong opinions <laughs> on it. Because when you when you achieve mastery of something, or again, whatever mastery means, you don't really have anything to prove anymore. It's normality is, as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm, absolutely. I, I always, cause, like I said, I don't speak Mandarin, but the languages where I've achieved uh, you know, the highest levels that are not, not in the language that I speak the best, I'm completely aware that I'm full of all kinds of gaps. And I'm usually not particularly good at writing. and I haven't done much writing in any languages, for example. Um, I don't tend to read large amounts of literature in other languages. But when I think about languages where I've got f- friends in the country that I go and spend months at a time with and live a completely full and native-like life there, anyone comes and tells me, hey, but yeah, but you, you don't, you're not fluent because you don't write. Or you, I thought, no, what are you talking about? What, who, why are you even telling me this stuff? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But, then, but then, yeah, for, for, for Chinese, obviously, you've got all these layers um like you were talking about phil you know these different layers of of, of just distance from from english so maybe this would be a good time to actually circle back and talk about how you guys actually learned yourselves because you've mentioned already um the easy way and the hard way and you know i'm sure there's there are are many shades of 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 uh of of meaning in there as well so perhaps um phil maybe maybe you'd like to start maybe you could just give us a a kind of brief map of how you went about learning learning Chinese. Yeah. Uh, and Luke and I do have different stories in this sense. Um, but I focused luckily on characters first, uh, in one sense, but I didn't focus enough on pronunciation. So, you know, that was what Luke did. He focused on pronunciation first and then later characters, but I just got lucky because when I was living in Philadelphia, I had a, um, Japanese roommate and her American fiance, and he had learned, um, he had learned Japanese and he knew how important characters were for Japanese. And he said to me, like, if you're going to learn Mandarin or any of, or any of the character based East Asian, Asian languages, make sure that you focus on the characters because it's going to really help you. And it's particularly true of Mandarin because there are so many homophones. So it gives you an extra thing for your memory in the sense that if you have too many homophones, you're going to have things that are auditorily exactly the same, but visually completely different if you're reading at the same time. So it just helps. It helps massively with acquisition. And so I started with that, which was lucky, but I didn't focus enough on pronunciation and I didn't understand comprehensible input or uh, sort of extensive reading or anything like that. So the areas where I struggled were when I tried to output with my bad pronunciation uh, early on. And then when I didn't focus enough on longer form content. So this would be kind of like the story learning at the level of like, okay, uh, Jill went to the store. At the store, she bought a candy bar. The candy bar was bad. So she went back to the store to get her money back. Like even that, it's just a few sentences that has a beginning, middle and end. And I was only sticking at the sentence level with my flashcards and stuff like that when I got to a certain degree of knowing enough characters. And while that's technically enough to get a sense of grammar, it didn't give me an excitement about learning. It was kind of, I was sort of pushing my way through on closed delete sentence flashcards. And if I could have done it again, I would have gotten to the point where I started using longer form content earlier when I was, you know, just graded readers basically. And I didn't start using graded readers until I had already learned quite a large vocabulary, but they were hugely helpful once I did. And I started like reading uh, the Chinese versions of childhood stories that I liked, which was a big help as well um, at that point. So basically story learning was the big change for me there. Okay. So just to, just to see if I can summarize that then. So you, you started with a very kind of micro character based approach 
and then work mm-hmm. out outwards from there into reading more widely and then starting to speak as well. It's, it's an interesting, uh, I've noticed as well that many, many Mandarin speakers I meet who've reached a high level all, all say, you know, if I could go back and do it again, I would do this differently. Mm-hmm. I always wonder at that point whether there's a bit of narrative fallacy going on because, you know, could, would, how do we know that you wouldn't have achieved the same thing, the same success that you have if you'd taken a different method? Um, because because I still would have been reading sentences. I just would have been reading sentences that were related to each other, right? So it's okay. like I was focused a lot on sentences. And so, you know, I mean, obviously there's the possibility that I wouldn't have been able to find good graded content, but, you know, I, I certainly could have because it was all there. Now, obviously you're right. I mean, maybe the if you were to go back and say, well, if things were different, would I have had the same uh, success? But my thinking is that since I did so many sentences and if i had just said okay try to get some sentences that relate to each other and have a simple story then i'm still learning sentences and so i they're just more connected and it would have you know i i was i guess i could amend my statement to say that part of what i had to use was a lot of willpower at certain points mm-hmm. and i don't think i would have had to use as much so for other people who might be doing this in the future, I would say get to longer form content earlier. As soon as you feel like you can read sentences pretty well, like some basic sentences, then see if you can find you know, a paragraph that you can read or see if you can find a short story that you can read because that'll keep you motivated. And I don't want to like, you know, tell people and then just use lots of willpower for two years or something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, so it, it wasn't my intention to put you on the spot. It was more kind of wondering out loud because I wonder that about myself oh, sure. all the time. You know, I, I realize it, you know, I. I, you know, as you know, I, I, I um, teach a method that uses, uses stories, but in my earliest languages, I didn't learn that way. Right. And so I, I'm always kind of um, asking myself that question. Luke, how about you? What was, um, how, what would, did your, I'm guessing that your, your learning story wasn't like that. So how, how was it for you? Mm, yeah. I, well, like I said, I started when I was 19. So I, what I actually, what I actually used, <clears throat> sorry, what I actually used exclusively was Pimsleur for two months or so, okay. I believe. I went to the I whole did Pimsleur thing. Can- I did Pimsleur Cantonese right in, in week one, week one and two. It's quite I good. I, the, I, I, I liked it. it. It was all right. It was all right. I actually, I, I don't mind doing repetitive things. You know, there's, I've, there's obviously there's criticism of Pimsleur, but works for me. Um, and uh, I felt results from it, you know, and I thought I can actually pronounce this language. And I was just, yeah. in 90, I think it's about 90 hours long. And I was just every day on the way to work, to and back, back from work, lunch hour, just put that in my ear and repeating, repeating, repeating. And those two months really paid off. Like I could have conversations. I, you know, I could do stuff in Chinese badly. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't understand much, but I could, I could say what I wanted, you know. Um, which made a world of difference, you know, going from zero to one is huge. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. And I was at that point, I was just, man, I've, I've learned a language properly and I've used it in real, in actual China with Chinese people. It was just such a buzz, um, uh, buzz that British people and American people almost exclusively get. I was like, oh, well, another language. Brilliant. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I was just addicted at that point. I was like, I've got to learn this language like pr- fully. And that's what I did after university. I wish I'd have just stayed in China, to be honest. But, um, you know, that was the path I chose. And as soon as I uh, got back to China, 
um, I was like, okay, I, I'm really good at this language because, you know, my pronunciation was good still. You know, I, I got back on the Pimsleur again. Uh, and I'm, I thought I had some sort of gift. <laughs> I was like, I'm just really good at languages. Well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get a textbook, and I'm gonna. I, I think I said out loud several times to people, I'm gonna become fluent in a year, in China, in Chinese. And uh, and someone was like, Oh, you're gonna learn all those squiggles? And I was like, No, you don't, you don't need to learn characters. I was just uh, the arrogance <laughs> is astounding. You know, of, of I don't know where I got that confidence from, um, really. But so you know, I jumped in. And I, you know, got textbooks with, you know, level one textbooks with Tang Dynasty poems in them for some reason, and just trying to make sense of it all, uh, not learning characters at all, just refusing to for well over a year. Uh, I didn't learn characters. And I just sort of just tried to piece it together and just speaking here, listening mm. there. I, I got really into memorize.com. Again, my obsessiveness came out and I was just, I, I, I smashed through 5,000 characters. That's HSK one to six. And I learned them with air quotes um, where I could regurgitate a single definition of a word. And that was like learning them. And then I would try and use the word and get laughed at by my Chinese friends, rightfully. Um, and that went on for about six months, you know, textbooks kind of trying to speak, not being able to loads and loads of hitting next on digital flashcards. No offense to memorize, by the way, at all. It's just, it's not supposed to be used in that way. It's just used with other stuff. Um, all sorts of apps, um, trying to new different ways of trying to hack the language and not really getting anywhere. Um, and then I, I think I met Phil around that point and he, he shared with me the idea of using flashcards hmm. and i also before i before that i had also found a method for learning characters that used certain mnemonic devices memory palaces and stuff and i thought and also at the same time i'd learned about stephen Krashen and language acquisition theory and how you know how it's supposed to go because there was a point i remember where i was just like okay i might just move on to something else I might just, I'm not, I'm not gifted. That's for sure. It's, it's well over a year and I cannot speak this language. I can't read it. Um, and it's just getting silly at this point. Uh, and then I started to actually look outward. We become a bit less arrogant and start looking at, you know, people like yourself, Folio, people actually learn languages for a living, you know, or people that, you know, study linguistics. And I found out about something called comprehensible input and Anki flashcards sentences and then I started learning characters like, okay learning to read is important and then I used this technique that I mentioned to learn 3,000 Chinese characters reading writing and pronunciation in six months and partially with Phil together uh, I introduced that to him um, and then things just took off things just really because it was i built up all these words in my head they were just floating around uh, three thousand characters five thousand yeah. words or more and they were just disparate bits of information some connected some not most not and then when i started reading sentences uh, i hadn't even dreamt about reading long-term long-form content but at this point but i was like okay i'm reading sentences things just started piecing together at a rapid rate mm. um and i just felt my just level increasing so about six months after that I or maybe 
well, a total of two years, essentially, Phil and I both took the HSK six together, the highest level. And uh, we passed it. So it went from about a year. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let me ask you this. Um, the actually, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that till later. I'm, I want to try and get this sequential here. As I'm listening, yeah, <laughs> wait for it. As um, <laughs> as I'm listening to you guys, what I what I hear in what you're talking about is something which is seems to be a phenomenon which. I mean, I think you have this in all languages, but especially in, in languages such as Asian languages, which tend to be very distant from English, which is that you're kind mm. of muddling along for a long time and then suddenly you reach a tipping point and then everything starts to compound and it's just, mm. you're, it's, you're off to the races from that point. So can you characterize that, that tipping point for me? So in the kind of, in the kind of Malcolm Gladwell sense, like what, what, is, what is it, how, how precise can you be in in articulating the point that you need to get to after which everything just falls into place? Well, in my experience, what happened was, so this kind of gets a little bit into why um, Mandarin is easy. So like everybody talks about why Mandarin's hard and they're usually correct, but what makes Mandarin easy is that it's a unified language. Like, so compare it to English, for example, which has like six or seven root languages that create the different vocabulary. So it's not like you can say that all the words have a similar origin point. So you can see connections. Sometimes you can uh, playground, easy, simple Latin based word, right? But when it comes to Chinese, almost all of the words are like that. They're these simple connections that you make between two characters, which are essentially morphemes and the like little mini meetings that you put together. And so what I started to notice with learning or, or exposing myself to sentences that I could understand was I was like, well, wait a second. These words are so logical. And then mm -hmm. I had this teacher, Yo Lao Shi at uh, Sichuan University. He was the greatest teacher I might have ever had. And I was very lucky. It's like the one advantage of university is you might get lucky and meet a good teacher. I had way more bad teachers and I had good teachers. But what he would do is he would go character by character through the language. And he was a big advocate for learning Mandarin character by character and not word by word. And so he said, all right, here's this character and you can use it like this and combine it with this other character, or you can use it like this, or you can use it in this context. And he would just go around and play with the character. And it just would make so many light bulbs go off while it was happening. And that experience got me excited and got me feeling like it's worth it to keep learning these sentences. And then, you know, all you can do from that point is try to activate language at different points and then have those thrilling moments where you realize, oh my gosh, I just used like 10 words that I've only ever passively inputted before. And just in that conversation, my brain sent them to me when I needed it. And that was the real like moment. Cause one of the things that if you've never learned a second language before, it's hard to understand is that you, you think you're going to plan out what you're going to say. You think you're going to be able to like know enough of the language that you'll get the grammatical structure perfect beforehand and then say it. Whereas what happens is that when you're in a real conversation with somebody and there's a real thing that needs to be done, like the pipe needs to be fixed because it's uh, spurting water into your apartment, then your brain, if you've gotten enough comprehensible passive input, will send you the word. So whatever uh, sort of gap there is between the raw feeling 
and the need to speak gets shorter and shorter. And so the moments of recognition come when you try to speak or write. Writing was a big thing for me too, because being in university, the writing was a thing I had to do all the time. So that mm. the same type of thing would happen. And it's very thrilling in those moments. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about, let, let, let's steer the conversation then towards how someone starting from scratch can get to this point. So we're, t- we're talking here about, um, about the, the beginner journey, and this would be a good time to, to, to talk about how you teach at Mandarin Blueprint, because um, I imagine that, that your combined experiences learning Chinese, which seems to be quite different, which is interesting, and, and also a, a big positive, I think, because as we know, there's never mm-hmm. one way to do anything. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm imagining that your, your combined experiences have informed the methodology that you have at, at, at Mandarin Blueprint. So talk to me about how, map out the journey for me using the way that you teach from zero beginner to um, let's call it functional um, for now. And then maybe if you could also talk about within that, the, the, the role of, of learning characters and at what point that begins and how that, how that, uh, how that, how that uh, factors into the, the process. Maybe Luke, if you want to take this. Yes. Yeah, sure. Well, like, uh, my own journey, I started out with pronunciation, again, by luck, just just as Phil got lucky by focusing on characters and reading and writing pretty early on. Um, it turns out that after much research, I confirmed that that is the actual best way to start learning a language. And to be fair, it is how most traditional teachers start as well. They start by teaching you the pinyin and you know, the romanized ABC of Chinese and the four tones. They teach you in a very boring way, usually, and and uh, you know, lots of drilling and repetitive sort of, you know, repetition and stuff. But uh, generally, you start with pronunciation, and uh, then you move on to characters immediately. You learn focus on how to learn, learn how to read as soon as possible, um, and that of course lends itself to learning words, which allows you to read sentences, and then you go on to read sentences, paragraphs, and stories. So that's the the basic gist. Uh, now. I'll leave it to Phil to fill in the details. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I would just say that pronunciation, Mandarin is uh, a language where it's possible to learn every syllable in at the beginning before you even get into anything else if you want to, because there's not that many syllables overall compared to other languages. Uh, So certain languages, I don't think it would be practical to go through all the different syllables in it. You're going to have to, to some degree, learn as you go with pronunciation. But with Mandarin, there's, and it's also somewhat mathematical. It's obviously there's exceptions to it, but the fact that you have pinyin initials, pinyin finals and tones, and there's sort of this equation that you use to put together a syllable um, makes it more possible than other languages to learn. And the fact that there's that pinyin final, pinyin initial and tone dovetails nicely into learning characters because it works out well to map on those three elements of pronunciation onto mnemonics. So faces, places, and a room within that place that represent the opinion initial, opinion final, and tone. And so that's when you get into the mnemonics to learn simple characters. And I won't go into too much detail around it other than to say that you always want to stay connected to what you've already learned. One of the reasons why traditional Chinese learning uh, 
drives people crazy is because a teacher will show them one thing one day and then the next day they'll be drawing from another article. So like the first article they're drawing from is like about sports. Okay. And then the next article is about the economy, right? So there's a totally different set of words that they're using and they start from the big thing. They start from the article or the paragraph or the story and then break it down. They teach it top down, right? And this is very frustrating with Chinese in particular because you don't know the characters yet. So you, you need to learn at least for a period at the beginning, bottom up. And so if you keep learning characters, it's like, okay, this next character you're learning is made up of character components that you've already learned. That makes it easier. It's not so complicated if it's like that. Okay, we're gonna introduce a new character component now and we're only gonna combine it with character components you've already learned. So that way, again, you stay connected to what you already knew. And then you move into words. You say, okay, here are the, say, 50 characters you know. Out of these 50 characters, you can combine 10 of them to create two character words that are very high frequency. Everyday words, you're going to use them all the time. And then you just keep building and building. And then eventually, you know enough words to make simple sentences that are comprehensible. And then technically, that's where the language acquisition starts, because you've got comprehensible mm -hmm. input at that point. And then you can build. And then at some point, top-down learning becomes more practical because you have a solid enough foundation of characters. We're not against mm -hmm. top-down learning. We're just against it to start with Chinese in particular. At the beginning, yeah. So, so is, it, is it fair to say then you, what you're describing is a, and because uh, if it is, this is exactly what I, how I approach it as well. Uh, are you, it sounds like you're describing a very managed pathway where you're actually, it's almost about what you don't teach as what as what you do because in order to give people that that um experience of building one piece on top of the next you've got to exclude not, probably 99 percent of stuff yes but the, but what you get yes. in return is what i like to call glimpses of mastery so you get a little mm. window into hey this is there's light at the end of the tunnel here i can see the pathway forward and i'm not just getting bombarded with a new chapter from a textbook with completely new stuff um every week you get breakthroughs yeah, particularly. Go ahead. Sorry. early. Sorry. Mm. Uh, you get breakthroughs the way we do it, the way we teach you, you get breakthroughs early. Uh, whereas it doesn't take a year and a half of failing <laughs> to yeah. finally get a breakthrough and say, like, oh my goodness, this is working. You get a breakthrough when you realize, oh, pronunciation can be learned in six hours pretty much for Chinese. Oh, yeah. I can learn a character in 30 seconds-ish um, and I can write it. How, how is this possible? Then, oh, no, I can actually learn a word by weird mnemonics. And the way we basically approach it is by doing a lot of what we learn, basically just doing the opposite of what we were subjected to and what we subjected yeah. ourselves to. It sounds like it, with, with Chinese in particular, because of the, 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 the kind of the cold start problem where you have so much to learn, you're really, it's a justification, any method which keeps you excited and interested and not giving up is almost justified right because because that's going to be such a problem i it's, it's interesting because it makes me so in my um in the various courses that i produce i i had an interesting experience i don't teach all of my courses like for example our german course i don't i don't speak german so obviously i don't teach it um but i i, I taught the spanish course um, our Spanish program. And then the next one I recorded after that was the Japanese program. And so it's quite interesting for me to, to, to think through the process of how to teach, how to deliver Spanish from an English speaker's perspective, and then to go on to Japanese. Because with, with romance languages, 
I don't think it's necessary to take the approach that you're talking about because you have already have so much in common. So you have that shared, that shared knowledge already through cognates, through um, either Germanic or Latin roots. So you've already got that, um, that, that base. And a lot of what you're doing is mapping what you already know onto a different, a different structure. But when I got to teaching the Japanese course, I didn't, I couldn't work like that because Mm -hmm. apart from the, very weird thing in Japanese where you have like all these English loan words, which are actually English words <laughs> pronounced in a funny way, yeah. which kind of gives you this strange 10% of words. Um, but then you get a hard stop once you've learned those words. Uh, with the exception of those, you are learning everything. There's very little in common from, from English. So you really have to, um, you really have to manage the learning a lot more um, in order to, yeah. in order to give primarily this sense of, of forward momentum and forward mm. and, 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 and just encouragement, you know, you need that, yeah. you need that foundation with character-based languages is definitely with Chinese. You need a foundation, whereas doing it the way we did it, like the way Phil did it. And later me, when I just learned 3000 characters in one go, that's also not a lot of people can do that or would like to do that. Um, because it's it's very intense and it's arguably quite boring, right? In a way, because you're not utilizing the language. So, are the bigger? I, I would say, uh, Phil, let me know if you disagree. But I would say the overarching concept for us that applies to our curriculum and the, our philosophy is holistic learning. So that's one of our key philosophies, where it's not just bottom up, it's not just top down. It's you build it, you create a few bricks. And then you go and build some of the house. You do some bottom up and you do some top down. So for example, like Phil sort of described, you learn a few characters and then you go and apply it. You learn a few words. And once you've learned just enough words so we can actually re- put it together and show you some sentences and give you that thrill of reading and listening. So reading and listening. Um, we do we show you it immediately. You don't wait a year. We, we show you after 50 yeah. characters. So you're building, you know, it's bottom up, top down. It's, it's holistic, that two and uh, back and forth between the two. And that's what I, we, we're trying to do that in a, 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 let's say, we're trying to approach that in the finest way possible to get that as many breakthroughs and as, as possible in the mm. short amount of time as possible. Yeah, that, that, yeah I think that, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I was, was just going to make the point that, that the, the... <laughs> <laughs> no, go, you go ahead, Ali. Okay, for, those, for, for everybody listening, uh, interviewing uh, two people at once is really hard because unless, unless uh, you actually nominate the person to speak, no one knows where to, when, to, when to go. I was just, uh, I was just going to say that, um, that, that Luke's point seemed to me to be touching on this, on this managed, on, the, on, on, on the, the idea of managing the process um, in order to sort of almost jump back and forth between, the, between the, the bottom up and the top down approach. But Phil, maybe you'd like to elaborate. Well, I mean, another element is, and it does relate, which is, you know, a thing that comes up a fair bit in our course is that Chinese characters have more than one definition often, and 20% of them have a secondary or tertiary pronunciation. And so this can lead people to go, well, wait a second, I thought this character meant dry, but it also means to do in some cases, and it's pronounced with a fourth tone, not a first tone. What the heck, Luke and Phil? And what we always say to them is we're like, you know, you need to exclude, like you were saying, the things that aren't 
necessary to overwhelm yourself with now. So like, if you overwhelm yourself too early, then you're going to lose the big game, which is because that you're going to end up getting yeah. feeling like I can't do it. I don't know. Should I keep doing this every day? The success becomes harder in the short term. And sure, we could teach you that uh, this character also means to do, but we're risking that you're going to end up feeling overwhelmed. And then the other element to it is that a secondary pronunciation or a secondary definition, you're going to be better prepared to learn it when you know more, right? And we know that we're, we're from the other side looking, you know, we're at the top of the mountain looking at the path up, right? And so we know that's the perfect spot to learn that. Um, and so you were exactly right. It really resonated with me when you said it's about what to exclude just as much as it is about mm. what to include. So mm. uh, I completely agree on that point. And I think that that's the thing that comes up all the time. And what we just do is we just say, okay, we're gonna go over this. And so just stick with it for now and learn the next character and everything kind of derives from yeah. the character. It's like you learn the next character, what words can you make from that? What sentences can you make from that word? And then what naturally happens is that your grammar module starts to build up. And then we say, oh, by the way, these five sentences that we, you learned, if you put them together this way, they create a little story and it's about little red riding yeah. hood or whatever. And so, yeah. Well, what you, what you, you, you said something in passing there, which is, I think is a really, really profound point, um, which is that, Yes, we could teach you something now, but you're going to be able to earn it, learn it a lot quicker if you wait. And this is, I think, where a lot of the obsessive styles of learning of learning um, languages like Chinese comes from. You know, where you get people just spending five years on flashcards because they because the, 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 the mindset is, you know, there's I've got so much to learn that there's the only way I'm going to do this is by sitting in my room for the next five years doing flashcards. But what they fail to understand is. If you don't do that and instead study some of the fundamentals more, then all these things that you think you have to learn by rote and by brute force actually are just going to fall into place naturally further yes. down the line once you've got a wider foundation. And this is the this is the whole um, the whole power of uh, input based methods, right? Which is that you're what mm. you what you lack is the structure of saying, right, I'm learning this now. And, you know, now I'm doing this exercise and next, you know, the structure of a traditional classroom, you give that up, which can be disconcerting for people. But what you get in return is huge amounts of exposure, which over time forms this complete puzzle. It's like creating a jigsaw puzzle and starting with the with the edges first. So you so it doesn't mm. it no longer seems like an endless sprawl of of, uh, of pieces, you know, you can see the limits almost. And then it's just a process of filling it in with the other pieces gradually. Um, time by time so i think it's a great analogy it's very difficult for the, the trouble is i think it's very difficult for learners by themselves to manage that process um because it's very difficult yes. for us as learners to say um because we are naturally curious as people and if we think there is something to be learned it's extremely difficult to to say to yourself you know what i'm not going to learn this now i'm going to shut down my curiosity and my interest and just you know lock it in a box very difficult to do that and also because you can't see the complete picture as a beginner um you, you know mm. you you don't know where to draw the line and um and this mm. is this is the real value of this managed this managed um this managed program um so just one last specific question for my own interest how do you deal with pinyin and where does that begin and end well um we created uh, pronunciation mastery as our pronunciation course. Um, so we we follow the same 
philosophy that we apply to our curriculum as a whole. We break down the 409 sounds in the like, syllables, sorry, the language, and there's four tones making it a, a, around 1200 in total. But we don't worry about that. We just focus on the smallest parts first. So the initials, uh, and then we, you know, the, the essentially the, the beginning parts of the sounds. Uh, and then we break those down into the easiest ones, uh, the slightly more challenging ones that are similar to English, and then the most difficult ones that are um, that are not in English at all. For example, ZH, etc. Maybe I should clarify the question, which wasn't wasn't clear enough. Sorry, oh. that's, that's my fault. Oh. Um, I, so what I was what I was actually wanting to to ask about was um, learning pinyin as a bridge to learning characters. So I was just oh, curious oh, about right. that yeah, yeah. about that process. Because um, I imagine you do start with oh. pinyin, but then ha- what's the utility of that, and uh, what, at what point does that end? That's a much much more interesting question. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we do teach pinyin, and it is essential because I mean, there's other typing methods and stuff. There's Julian and stuff, but it's just the most popular one. So we do teach it very efficiently, as quickly as possible. The main reason we teach it is so that you can use our character method which as Phil briefly went into, you know, it, it, it attaches the opinion initial and the opinion final and the tone to three separate aspects of your imagination, just like memory athletes do to memorize thousands of digits of pi, et cetera. So we teach you opinions like, okay, here's opinion, here's the basics, you got it? Okay, in fact, don't worry about finishing the pronunciation mastery course, it's 10 units, just finish the first four, just to get the basics, jump into the character method. Just once you've got all the initials and all the finals, go and start learning characters. And that's what we do. And then, yeah, so um, like you can say P, Paul McCartney. Uh, A-N is your apartment on Anderson Street, if you happen to live in a place like that. Or you, you there's some connection, you know a friend named Annie and you went to her house a lot. Okay, so then that's Paul McCartney in Annie's house. All right, so there's P-A-N, which is a, pronunciation in pinyin but then the question is what's the tone well that's just the room in annie's house is it outside the entrance pan is it inside the entrance or in the kitchen pan is it in the bedroom or the living room or some other room in the house pan third tone and if it's in the bathroom or the backyard pan fourth tone and these are things that once you get the hang of it it's instant paul mccartney in the kitchen of annie's house done right it doesn't take any time once you get used to it and then what happens next is the components of the characters are represented by objects, and then the um, uh, what they do represents the meaning. So, what does Paul McCartney do with a rope and a pigeon in the kitchen of Annie's house? Yeah. And then that, you know, it sounds okay. complicated when you explain it, but once you get the hang of it, it's like you know he uh, you'll not only you have fun with it, but it's way more memorable, and it's a it's a foundation by which you can forget things and then rebuild. So even if you forgot one of your little scenes, like, oh, what was the rope doing again in this? I remember Paul McCartney in the kitchen of Annie's house, but, and I remember there was a pigeon, but I can't remember what the rope was doing. You just quickly reshoot the scene and then uh, you just go, oh, right. He was, he was strangling the pigeon. That was what it was. And this character yeah. means strangle or whatever. So, this is going off the rails. Like, no, Phil, Phil, it was a question about pinion. They talk about strangling okay. pigeons. Yeah. Come on. Long term. Well, listen, you know, it, it's memorable. 
Yeah, it, it is. And, and, I, and I will absolutely back you up on that because so what, what Phil's describing here, so longer term listeners of the podcast may remember various episodes that we've done on memory palaces um, before. Mm. And um, maybe we, we might avoid getting into a, a long discussion on that um, right now, but that seems to me to be essentially what you're describing. So um, this is the, the idea of, I mean, for me, the base, the, the main point of the main thing to know about this is stuff is more memorable when you can place it in an imaginary location, because then you've got more than one thing to anchor it to in your mind. So rather than just having to deal with a sound or a letter or something in your mind, if you can actually put that in a location in a room and visualize it there, it gives you more to hold on to, which makes it easier to remember and, and, and harder to forget. That's a really fascinating approach mm-hmm. to, um, to, to, uh, to learning to read and i'm um yeah well listen i, I think we could well, probably it's also nice that mandarin has such a simple pronunciation system so that that's possible yeah. to do and also that uh, it's standardized to many other languages and also that it's standardized right because i remember one of the mm, biggest problems yeah. for me learning cantonese was was just there's no structure whatsoever some academics have made have made attempts to to uh to, to create these sort of standardized standard romanization systems, but they're but none of them are satisfactory um, the, there are lots of different um, uh, consonant vowel sounds. There are more tones in Cantonese and there's n- nothing is standardized and any material you get is basically just written at the whim of whoever, whoever's writing it, which makes it so slippery that it's, it's extremely difficult to, um, to for, for, from a practical perspective for a learner. You just get so frustrated because you're like, man, just give me some like give me some material that's actually that actually makes sense and that, that is all that, that's consistent i had exactly the same problem with um with arabic uh with mm. uh, with arabic dialects are the same in the sense that there's no standardization it's and in the case of both cantonese and arabic it's weird because that's what people actually speak you have four more formal versions of each so you know you have for, formal mm. chinese and then formal arabic as well but no one actually speaks that people people speak as the local dialect but they're so unstandardized that it's just a total nightmare for people to uh for, for anyone to 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 learn and um so i've i often found myself jealous of, of mandarin learners because at least you know at least uh was it was it mao who who went to the trouble of standardizing uh Mandarin, or was it just does someone else take? Oh, he's, that's when well, they is the Qin Emperor. The pinyin was Qin Emperor, I guess. Yeah, like it depends on which one you're asking. Was it Mandarin? Yeah, yeah that was yeah. earlier. But pinyin came about in 1953 under Mao, and uh, the guy who created it actually only passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, mm. I think Korean has a similar story, doesn't it? With a, a relatively recent, not 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 that recent, but a fairly recent kind of creation of a, of a new alphabet. But that's a story from another day, guys. It's been it's been absolutely fascinating to talk. Uh, people are going to be anxious to know more about uh, what you guys do. So, would you like to? Um, where would you like to send people to find out more about uh, about you guys and what you do? I just head to www.mandarinblueprint.com. Mandarinblueprint.com. Yeah, I always wonder what the point of www is anymore. Um, yeah. well, I should have just left it out, shouldn't I? I wouldn't have uh, messed. Because no, I up. listen to a lot of audiobooks, <laughs> and when, when when you get when when narrators read audiobooks, they always say, "And I've got this free PDF. You can go to https colon forward. No way. <laughs> <That's what they laughs> Even do. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Which is uh, yeah. Anyway, so mandarinblueprint.com is the place to go, and then um, you've got a fantastic website there with everything very 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 clearly explained. Um, mm, yeah. So, so guys, thanks very much. And uh, any any social media out there that people can follow you on, or is it? Uh, 
just the website. It's all pretty much Mandarin Blueprint. Um, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter might be like Mandarin underscore Blueprint, but if you just search Mandarin Blueprint, it's it's all there. Pretty much and, everywhere. Uh, yeah. And thank you, Ollie. I think there's a lot more we could talk about too. So let's let's do this again sometime. <laughs> yeah, there's always yeah, there's I've, always. I've, more. I've been following you for a while, and I I got to say, you know, thanks for your contribution to what you're doing. It's just fantastic. Well, you know, right back at you guys, because I mean, you know, I think the uh, the the standard academic ways of teaching languages has a place, but I think for most people, it's it's not the way forward and um learning from other people's experience is extremely valuable and so for for every you know everyone um like like what you guys are doing who who, who creates and presents other options and other ways of doing things is extremely valuable it's going to help a lot of people so yeah it's been great to talk and i look forward to the next one thanks ali talk soon you know, on this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about quite advanced concepts and ideas in language learning. But I also have a series of courses which are for beginners, because actually, more often than not, people come to me and say, look, Ollie, I just want to learn this new language as a complete beginner. I want to learn Spanish or learn Japanese or learn French. You know, what do you have for me? And this is why over the last few years or so, I've been developing out this series of courses, which... You know, I, everyone claims their method is the best, right? So all I'm going to say about these courses is that I've created th these courses the way that I would like to learn a new language myself if I were starting out from the beginning. So, you know, it's it's my thing. It's my <laughs> it's what I recommend. That's as much as I can say about them. The special thing about these courses, the unique thing, is that you learn through story. So, you know, I don't go in for any of these kind of technology gimmicks and apps and flashing lights and funny noises and things like that. I teach you through story. So right from day one, I get you reading a story in the language. You're reading, you're listening right from the beginning, even when you don't understand very much. And then I come in and teach you through these video lessons. I help you uncover the language from the pages of the story, which is why these, course, these courses are called Uncovered Courses. Spanish Uncovered, Japanese Uncovered, Italian Uncovered. It really is a way to learn the language to a very deep level. You won't get the same instant gratification that you get from Duolingo, but what you will get is a solid foundation and thorough education in the language that is gonna give you all the groundwork you need to go on to become fluent in the language. If you'd like to find out more about these, simply head over to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and look for the courses option in the menu bar. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on courses in the menu bar. That will show you all the different uh, beginner courses that we have uh, in all the various different languages. Once again, that is IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on courses in the menu bar.